Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We have a special guest for you today, and you're really going to love listening to him again, Clay Hip. Clay has written, read, and is also working on a book of his own, but he is one of the most well-read people that I have listened to and had on the show. So, Clay, welcome to Poets and Writers. Thank you for asking me. Well, Clay, now, uh, we've uh, talked to you before, and we know that you grew up in a mill town, isn't that right? That's correct. I believe your mother was a teacher. Yep, and, and a Methodist, Methodist preacher's daughter. Well, okay. And then your dad, did you tell me he went to Citadel? Citadel. Yeah, and then you went in the military and then went to law school. Yes. And became a, a lecturer. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I actually did. I liked law school and hated practice, and so I left it, and now I'm recovering. Well, you you've done real well, and you're you're a legend around these parts, Clay. And you know, as we mentioned before, I met you in a storage facility when I was going through my books, and I think that you have uh, what do you, what do you have in your storage facility? Wine. Yeah. Only. Up. Uh, you just have a your wineries out there. I, no, I just have wine that I bought okay. that I've been buying for the last. 40 years. All righty. All right. Well, let's, we're going to talk today, and you have read so many books, and you've given our audience uh, suggestions as to what to read, but we're going to talk about Wendell Berry. We are. All right. Now, can jump, I, can I can jump I, in? If can, can, we, can I tell you my favorite book joke? If you don't jump in, you'll never be asked. All right. I'm going to tell you my favorite book joke. So before I taught at Wake Forest, I taught at Clemson. And anybody who knows South Carolina knows that South Carolina and Clemson don't get along in sports or anything else. And so at Clemson, I heard all these jokes about Clemson and South Carolina. And then my favorite is this. A guy says he was listening to the news, and the person said, This just in. University of South Carolina Library burns to the ground. Both books destroyed. And one of them hadn't even been colored in yet. How about that? Yeah, that I'm a little familiar with that story. I believe Steve Spurrier one time passed that around. He a might have bit, done, but he but, might have done with another point of view. Absolutely. Well, Wendell Berry, yes. folks around the valley here, they've read and know of Wendell Berry. So, tell me a little bit about your experience with Wendell Berry, and you've got a great story. Go for it. Okay, I'm gonna start off this way, if you don't mind. When you asked me first, when we informally talked, you asked me about my five favorite books, and I struggled mightily to come up with them. The next time we got together, formally, you said, what are your five favorite authors? And so I've been thinking about that ever since, and I missed Wendell Berry the first time, and it really ticked me off that I'd done that. But it's such a difference between who is your favorite author and who is your favorite book. Uh-huh. Your favorite book, you can go back 40 years and find things that you really like. But if your favorite author, for me, and that's why Wendell Berry is this topic, favorite authors are people that you have found that you'll read anything they write, for me. Mm -hmm. And that's Wendell Berry for me. Mm -hmm. And he started after he left the University of Kentucky, where he was thought he wanted to be an academic, but realized he didn't want to be an academic. He started writing. He got a 40-acre farm down in a little town called Port Royal. And he turned Port Royal into Port William. Mm -hmm. And ever since the early 60s, he's been writing Port William stories. And so it's really one big, long novel. It's been going on for 40 years. And I have adored every piece of fiction 
he's written. You know he writes poetry and he also writes political essays and economic essays too. But the very first book that I read was called A Place on Earth. And in it, he tells us everything we need to know about Port William. And you get to know all the characters. And you get to know about this town. And then it starts going from there. Right in the middle, he writes a book called Jaber Crow. And Jaber Crow is about the town barber. And Jaber Crow is an outsider. He's only been living there 10 years. So he has no status whatsoever in that little town. And he writes Jaber Crow. But the, the artifice that's so brilliant is we've known Jaber Crow for a long time as the guy cutting everybody's hair. And all of a sudden, Jaber Crow is looking out into that community and describing all these people and his life there. It's absolutely one of the most beautiful novels I've ever read in my life. And it's because of that different perspective that the author has given us. He's turned the tables on the whole town. Have you read it? I absolutely have, and I, uh, I agree with you, and I think the story of community, and you and I have talked about folks looking for community, mm-hmm. and I, I love that aspect of mm-hmm. it. And I actually checked it out of the Abingdon Library and read it. So I want to thank those folks down there today. Now, I want you to tell our audience about where you met Wendell Berry and, and tell that story. I think that's just a oh, great really? story. Okay. I think, well, this that. is what hurt me so much after that first one. You asked me about my favorite authors, and I didn't get an, Wendell Berry even in edgewise. Right. And so I read him and read him and read him and read him. And about the year 2000, my life was falling apart. And I thought I needed to get away. And so I got an appointment in Gethsemane near Louisville. Mm -hmm. Louisville. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at how I was going to get there. And I saw that Wendell Berry's hometown was just 50 miles off the road. So I found out how you get in touch with Wendell Berry and you write him a letter. That's how you do it. Mm Mm-hmm. I wrote him a letter in my own hand, scratchy as it is, and I said, Mr. Berry, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Do you ever have guests in your home? And he said, well, sir, it's nice of you to have asked. We have visitors on 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, and I was checking into the monastery the next morning. He met me. No, she met me at the door. Tanya met me at the door and said, Wendell is in the kitchen having a cup of tea. You're welcome to go back there and have tea with him, and I did. We talked for two hours while his shepherd dogs ran back and forth outside the windows just waiting to go out and do their adventures. And at five o'clock, he said, okay, you either have to go now or go with me to do the chores. We saw a llama looking after his sheep, his draft horses, his tractor, his draft horses came clumping across the pasture, And it was just one of the most magical days I'll ever have in my life. And I I wouldn't take anything for it. And you later saw him at conferences. I I saw him. I have a preacher friend from Savannah. And he Mm -hmm. said, why don't we go down to this conference in North Florida? Because Wendell Berry is going to be there. And I said, well, I don't know if I can be with all those preachers, but I want to be with Wendell Berry. Well, and he was in his mad farmer mode by then. He, he, he really, that. he really, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd not seen anything on his gentle side because I saw him, I saw him read the first chapter of Jaber Crow in Mars Hill, North Carolina mm-hmm. when he came to, a, they they offered him to come down there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I went down there and he, I bought a book of his and he signed it for me and I've got his signature. Well, I know he's aged like all of us and I know that he, of course, obviously is such a great environmentalist in what he's written yeah. about. 
but he's also made. He calls himself a conservationist, I think, rather than well, environmentalist. Very good, very good. But he says technology has just outraced us all. Yes. And I think that uh, his contributions in that area are, are major, as you know. I noticed uh, here in my studio today, folks, which is my car. And, you know, I have it outfitted, uh, talking with Clay Hip today. You know, I can camp in this. I do sleep in this uh, studio sometimes. Out on my land on the creeper trail there, near Trestles 5 and 6. You've got Jaber Crow, and we've mentioned that. How about how it went? Wendell Berry, how it went, and you've got a place on Earth. Talk a little bit okay, about Okay, well, I, the place on Earth is the first thing that I read. Okay. And it set the whole tone to get to know that town so well I wanted to know more about it. And... Jaber Crow's in the middle, and I'll get another look at Port William that I hadn't gotten before. And How It Went is his last effort. It's not his last effort. It's his latest effort. Okay. And it's a series of stories based on one character, uh, Andy Catlett, who's been there from the very first when he was a little boy. And now it's Andy Catlett looking back on his life in Port William over all those years and doing all the contemplation that we do when we start to get a little older. You and I will know about that soon. <laughs> we don't know about it yet. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. You know, I think maybe, let me tell the little Jaber Crow story and then I'll, then I'll read from, read from great, how it went. Great, go for I it. I think that might be even better. Go for it, Clay. So the Jaber Crow story is beautiful because I told you he was a stranger even after 10 years in town. He became the town barber. But he had gone to seminary before he got there. Oh. And he had started getting some of those um, stories that he couldn't believe in, you know. And he started losing his, shall we say, religious feelings about whether he wanted to be a preacher or not. Mm -hmm. He started going around talking to all his professors about his doubts and what he ought to do when it's no longer literally true to him. He finally went to one guy, and he starts asking questions. What about Mr. Crow? What do you need to know? J. Crow, he called him. And he asked him questions, and at the end of it, he said, Sir, does that mean that I probably shouldn't be a preacher? And he said, I think you're probably right. Mm -hmm. And so he continued to be a barber. He dug graves in the cemetery. He had a love affair that was never consummated. Mm -hmm. And it's just absolutely a stunning book. But Andy Catlett well, runs... Go ahead, go ahead, please. Let me just say this about that love affair that you mentioned. I think that's so beautiful. One of the most beautiful I've ever seen. Because they're trying to preserve that land. They meet there once a day, once a week or whatever, and yes. they just... Uh, yes. It's just such a beautiful yes. love story. Yeah, and that's yes. what they come together about, mm -hmm. is about that land. And yet he loves her, Jaber, but he never is able mm -hmm. to tell her. And he can't mm -hmm. tell if she likes him or not. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say any more because it would be ruining something that shouldn't be ruined. Well, folks, we're talking with Clay Hip today out here, a great reader and just really a, such a joy to interview. And we're talking about Wendell Berry today, and he is explaining and giving us, he's diving deep into Wendell Berry. So, Clay... Uh, I come up for air occasionally. Absolutely. But uh, how it went, you said that's his latest book? His latest or, book. Yeah, and, and then... And I want to read one little please, piece of it. Please, And uh, Andy Catlett, who is now in his 80s, is looking back on his life in Port William and growing up and what he learned. And he's talking to us about a guy named Dick Watson who worked for his father, who was, who was the town attorney, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Dick Watson taught him pretty much everything he ever learned. 
Andy loved Dick Watson with his whole heart. And so it was fortunate for him that Dick was a man entirely honorable and upright. Mm -hmm. At that time, Andy was far from the consciousness by which he might have formed and articulated a judgment, but he probably would not have loved Dick so much if he had not also looked up to him. His love was a large part of response to Dick's kindness, but a part of it was also the admiration for Dick's workmanship. So their friendship was intimate so far as they had acknowledged a seriousness in it, in it to each other and to nobody else. Endearments enough passed to Dick from Andy, whose mind was always unbalked and friendly spoken. They may have passed the other way too, but from a mind by then, by its history, far more complicated, and old Andy, in strict courtesy to Dick and in hope of justice, allows himself no conclusions. And yet he wonders. Dick had his own flesh, but no child. Did Andy in some way perhaps stand in for Dick's never existing actual son or grandson? Well, Andy thinks, it is best to wonder and not know. Because Dick was grown up and older, an elder, it never occurred to Andy to doubt him. He knew Andy assumed the answers to all the questions. If they had been given time, if they could have lived on at the same ages forever, Andy might finally have asked them all, and Dick might have provided answers, right or wrong, but it wouldn't have mattered. Old Andy was touched to the heart by the freedom of their talk. Then, though they spoke as man and boy, they seemed to speak otherwise as peers. When other people, especially other grown-ups, were present, members of the racial, members of the racial, the burdening and bewildering difference would be present. In freedom, the freedom at least for Andy, of their own conservation, with the whole outdoors around them. No observers, no mirrors anywhere. Andy never thought of either of them as representative of any category. He thought of them only as who and where they were. And now, in the age of categorical politics and categorical manners, when actual faces and lives fade from sight beneath the spears of mechanical abstractions, old Andy is turned back from his thoughts repeatedly to the question, What shall I call him? What thought word in speaking of him to those who were now young should I use to signify his race and his part in history? Beautifully read, we're listening to Clay Hip read from Wendell Berry, and this would be his How It Went book, which is a more recent book. You're Thirteen saying. stories of the of the fellowship of Fort William. Fort William, and which is the community that uh, he creates. Well, One last line. Go, go for it. Did Dick would have wished to be called a Negro, and white people of goodwill would have called him so. He would have been hurt and insulted then to be called a black which he would have taken as the equivalent of darky. If he had been called an African-American, he would have been as bewildered as Andy and would have been called to a European, called a European-American. And this is what Wendell does so damn good in doing, dealing with relationships of all kinds. The, the town lawyer was just as much of a real person as all the other people who were ne'er-do-wells. And the ne'er-do-wells respected him, but they didn't feel like they were a part in this small town. But in the small town, we talked about it here in Southwest, but Clay and I, we had, we've had some great conversations about community. You know, folks around Abingdon and over in Wise and these small towns and areas that we have, 
you feel like you really deeply get to know these individuals, you know, and when you move away or go different places, you miss that common bond, don't you? And Andy absolutely loved Dick Watson. Absolutely. And they were from different stratum and mm -hmm. different racial Tra categories. Transitioned it. Yeah. Wendell Berry, and one of uh, another book I think you brought along here today uh, in my studio there, let's see, you, you just, I just brought the place, yeah. a place on earth. A Any, place on anybody earth. who wants to enter into Wendell Berry's world should read the place on earth because it's the one he put his heart and soul into. He wrote it one time and then the editors told him it's way too long and it's not good enough. You're telling stuff you don't need to be telling. He cut it down to about two thirds of the size that it was originally. And what does, uh, what stands out there from that book? <laughs> You, the thing that stood out for me is that he gives us every single town person. You get to know them playing poker in an old store that's been closed because it wasn't run. You get to know them out hunting. You get to know them picking tobacco together. You get them sharing their community lives, and when one's in trouble, the others come and look after them. And so you get to know every single person, and they didn't all get along by any stretch of the imagination. There were, there were horrible things that went on in the town, but you get to know them, and then you get to know them as they age into and out of the community. Yeah. Wendell Berry, an environmentalist also, and Clay, we share many interests. Who, on one of the previous shows we had you on, you talked about fishing and nature, and, and I'm still looking those books and going through them, and particularly about the boy in the Ozarks, you mm -hmm. know. And then the one that won the Pulitzer in 20... The Earth, the Earth is Enough is the name of the Ozark one. And I can't for the minute tell you what his author is, but The Earth is Enough is one of the finest things I ever read. All right. And then the one about the nine... Uh, talk about the Pulitzer. The, I want to say the nine characters, nine trees and so nine, forth. Nine, well, it's nine, yes, nine people nine. who are in a book called The Overstory. The Overstory. I was trying yes. to think of that. And that's by Pulitzer Prize winning author named Richard, what's his name? He's an astrophysicist, but he is one, He has got to be one of the greatest minds in the country. I want to say Whitaker, but I don't know. Nope. Yeah, no, Powers. Powers. Richard Powers. Yes. Absolutely. Because I thought of him because there's a Powers wrote about Mark Twain. I don't think it's the same one. But uh, definitely folks out there. Uh, if you're into nature, and I know you are around the valley here and around these mountains, and this, uh, as you know, as we like to say, and it's kind of trite, but it really isn't, they're not making any more of it. And you mm -hmm. folks on the Creeper Trail mm -hmm. and you folks traveling up 81, coming from all over, and then all my local friends, you know, around the valley here that uh, I ride bikes with and also out there on the land, I walk it. So this uh, one of, one of the things I love about Clay is he's read so much and and about fishing too. If you folks want to want to know anything about fishing, you need to get in touch with Clay. Even yeah. though I'm not a fisher person, well, I, I know I, I just that. read a yeah. lot about yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it's, it's beautiful. But Henry, books. you're talking about conservationism, and one thing you said earlier this morning was that you are you the, the land that you own, you want to put it into a trust with the Nature Conservancy so it can never be developed and it will save it from the things that are going on. We don't want to need to talk about capitalism, but we are we are concerned about our country. Well, we, the, the nature and the folks who know the origin of the Creeper Trail and the value to Southwest Virginia, 
And we know that the amount of people it draws here, and we also know the areas before the creeper trail came in, and particularly Damascus, which is, my goodness, has exploded. My fear now is too many people know about it. But mm -hmm. just to get out in nature, and you mentioned, I'm going to jump back very quickly toward the here. You went up to uh, Maine, and you mentioned that writer on the show previously, Rob McCall. Yeah, and you talked about his love of nature and the hiking and so forth. Rob McCall, yeah. I never met him. He is now my closest friend. He was a pastor at a Congregationalist church in Blue Hill, Maine. For a number of years before that, he ran all around the country. I thought of you because he <laughs> went and did all kinds of things yeah. before he finally got back home. But he was the, the preacher, but he started writing a book called the Awana Joe Almanac, and it was about the Blue Hill that overlooks Blue Hill, Maine. And it, he talks about it in terms of sacredness, about it looks after the town and looks after the people. But he does an almanac. He owns hundreds of almanacs, and he's read them all to see how you do an almanac. Yeah. And so this... His, the Wana Joe Almanac is just absolutely wonderful, and there are two others after it. If you want to look up Rob McCall, you need to get to know him. Well, Clay, you, you have had so many adventures, and, and I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but you and Joni, your partner, yes. uh, have wife. have wife, have traveled so much, and I so enjoyed meeting her today, and so many stories about where you've been and the places you've visited. And, and also, I have to tell you folks, if any of you have ever had a design on uh, running a bed and breakfast or owning one, you might want to talk to some of us who have tried that. Clay, talk just briefly about going over to Paris and uh, France. And well, we, you, answered you a friend's, and we answered a friend's emergency is what we did. We got the indirectly the idea that this young couple who lives here in Winston-Salem owned a and b in the south of France. <laughs> and they had a Dutch couple that was supposed to be running it, and they had a family emergency and backed out on them. And my friend at Wake Forest said, I thought of you guys first. We had the young couple over for dinner. Yeah. Two days later, we accepted, and 10 days later, we were on a flight to Paris, and then eight hours down to Sarlat in the Dordogne in the south of France. It, it, and we ran it for six weeks. And how exotic was that? Well, we thought running a and b sounded exotic. And then we learned that we were the only two people on staff of a five-bedroom B&B. Breakfast every morning, people coming and going and needing the beds changed and the flowers, the showers washed and the that, sheets Iron, and that was, was your my specialty. Job, my specialty. Joni put you in charge of that, right? She did, because she was in charge of the bathrooms. Uh -huh. And I, I said, you know, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I found out it wasn't quite as much of a thank you as it was. So you did the roll sheets kind the of roll, thing? The roll, the, oh, pedal, pedal, yeah. you know, steam and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, sheets are long. Yeah. And it's hard to get them ironed well because they want to wrinkle back up even after they've been washed. Well, I just wanted to drop that sure, in there just a little bit it. because uh, I think you guys have had such great adventures, and I so enjoyed talking with you both this morning, or today, I should say, and about uh, uh, your reading Middlemarch, I think, together, with quite, and you read it orally and so on together. Yes. So these are folks are great readers. I know we're in a time when we have so many other diversions, but... Uh, and as I said before, it was just by um, serendipity that it was true Clay serendipity. and I met. And, and, uh, it wasn't preordained, storage bin because I was sitting on my box of books, I you think. And, uh, and you walked down through there going to your wine cellar, you yeah, say? Yes, you my wine it. cellar. All right. 
Well, as we round out the show here today, Clay, and I know you've mentioned, uh, he will send me folks an email saying, well, here's five, six, ten other books you need to read I should have mentioned to you. Do so I get an in? You, in, you get in an just end. a little note I, here, okay? I'm giving you the end. Because I, right I had to back up after Wendell Berry. Yeah. And I want people to know that there is a guy who's been writing for the New Yorker for years and years and years. And what is his name, Henry? Was it Halpern? Was that the... Nope. It was um, McPhee. McPhee. John McPhee. John McPhee, yeah. Who went to Princeton and got turned down with his writing stuff like all of them do. And finally somebody at the New Yorker saw one of his pieces. And from the late 50s until today, he can write anything he wants and the New Yorker will publish it. And if you want to learn some stuff about this country we're in, it's all nonfiction. He has a series about the geology of the United States, four different volumes. I read Assembling California was the first one. And then there's Basin and Range and the Rocky Mountains and the Appalachians. And what is the, his, his way of doing is when he gets interested in something, he will find an expert and ally himself to it, and they'll go out and learn stuff, and he'll write about it. And it's He's absolutely marvelous. I say his name again for a John McPhee, M-C-P-H-E-E. And if you don't get to know John McPhee, you have missed a lot. So you would say he is a contemporary writer? Late, the last half of the 20th century and even up until now. All right, all right. Well, with those words of advice here and suggestions for reading, again, it's been a delight to have uh, Clay Hip on today and talking about Wendell Berry. And Clay, thanks again, and we'll do this again sometime down the road. Well, anybody who's as easily delighted as you are, I'll talk to them anytime. <laughs> and this is Henry McCarthy of Poets and Writers saying, Do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or steal away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. So thanks for listening.